0: If you are here for the first time or you're watching us on our YouTube channel for the first time and you do not have a home church, then we want to say to you, welcome home. All right, 9 a.m., you can do better than that. We want to say to you, welcome home. There you go. All right, appreciate it. All right. Hey, um, I want to pray for a couple of people, uh, some of our, our own people that are in the hospital right now. Uh, those of you that may know uh, Joe Eclavia. Uh, he and his wife have been going here for a long time, and uh, he is in the hospital right now with some kidney um, issues. And then Art Butler, uh, his, his wife Denise, is on our uh, greeter team. He's been in the hospital for a few weeks now um, with uh, lung cancer, and so he's gone through his second chemo treatment. Uh, but they're, uh, they just need some prayer, and so I want to take just a couple of minutes and pray for some of our own family, if that's okay. So if you will, if you will bow your heads with me, we will pray for Joe and Art Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, you see Joe, you see Art. Lord, you see their individual hospitals. You see them in their individual beds. And Father, we just pray for them right now. Lord, I pray for Joe and I pray for his kidneys. Lord, I pray for complete restoration in his body right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will just heal his body completely. Let him be able to walk out of that hospital today in Jesus' name and begin to feel better. And Father, for Art, Lord, who is suffering through this lung cancer Lord, I just speak to that cancer and I curse it in Jesus' name. I pray that it will go. Lord, and I pray that when his scans come back here in a couple of weeks, Lord, we will see improvement. And Father, he can walk out of that hospital. Lord, that he can go home and they can both just rest at home instead of being in the hospital. So Lord, I just lift them up to you. We pray for them. We we, we know that you are still the chief physician in our lives. and We pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for doing that. Hey, we are going to be taking communion at the end of service. So if you did not get your communion elements, can you just lift your hand real quick? Our ushers will get that to you. Uh, We're going to do that at the end of service. Looks like everybody got your elements. Man, our ushers are on it. You guys are doing a great job. All right. Um, Okay. So we are continuing our series today titled Forward, where we've been talking about different areas of our lives where we can move forward in our relationship with Jesus, trying to find true freedom, uh, seeking and granting forgiveness. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Last week, Pastor Tito talked about how we can move forward in in how we deal with anxiety in our lives. And so if you missed any of those messages, we just want to encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and you can get caught up with those messages. But today, we are going to look at what the Bible teaches us about how our willingness to obey God will move us forward in our faith journey, but our unwillingness to obey God can keep us stuck. Remember, we've been talking about how we get stuck in these unhealthy places. We get stuck in our sin, we get stuck mentally, we get stuck emotionally. Sometimes we can get stuck physically because we're not allowing the peace and the joy and the hope and the forgiveness of the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives. In obedience and disobedience is is another one of those stuck places because our goal as Christ followers should always be to bring every area of our lives into obedience with what Scripture says. So this is what I want you to do. Turn to the person next to you, a person next to you, and say, my goal, okay, that was pretty weak. "My My goal is spiritual obedience. Okay, now turn to the other neighbor. Say, my goal is spiritual obedience. Okay, now say this to the same person. After service, After service. you're buying lunch. <laughs> I just helped 50% of you get a, free, get a free meal today. Hey, I'm smart, I know what I'm doing. All right, so before we dive, in today, before we dive into today's message, I want to give you a little bit of background in history so that. Uh, so that we kind of know where we're going, okay? So if you have your Bibles, if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And as you're looking that up, let me kind of catch us up historically for what we're about to read, okay? If you remember, if you grew up in church, you know the man named Moses that God called to lead God's people, the nation of Israel, out of captivity from Egypt, okay, that we know today as Israel. All right. Years after this, the people were led, God's people were led by a series of either judges or high priests. Now, at some times, these roles were separate. There were, you would have a judge or you'd have a high priest. But at other times, one individual would serve as both judge and priest. So we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that Israel's last judge or their last priest was a leader named Samuel. And as he got older, he stepped aside and put his two boys in charge. But the problem is, these were not good guys, all right? These were typical pastor's kids, all right? Always trouble, causing mischief, okay? They were incredibly corrupt, the two boys were. And because of this, the nation rebelled. They said, look, we don't like Samuel's kids. We don't like his boys. We do not want them as leaders. And so, Samuel, we want a king. But God said, no, 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 I'm your king. I've given you judges. I've given you priests. I'm your king. But they said, no, we want a physical king because after all, all the other nations around us have a physical king. So we want a king too. So God directs Samuel to a young man named Saul, who became the very first king of Israel. So Saul begins Really, really well, and I want to re-emphasize that he begins well, and he receives God's blessing, but it's conditional. The blessing of God in Saul's life to be king of Israel is conditional on Saul's willingness to remain obedient to God. So I'm going to look at this moment that that occurs relatively early in his role as king. First Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 says this: Samuel said to Saul. I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now it's obvious that God has it in for the Amalekites. And he's condemning them because He had the, the Amalekites had attacked the back of Israel's caravan as they were coming out of Egypt. The Amalekites attacked them from behind and killed women and children, the sick and the elderly, killing many of them. And not only did they attack them that time, But they lived on the border of Israel and continued their attacks consistently. So before we go on any further, I want to call out the uncomfortable reality of this passage. This punishment may feel brutal. It may feel excessive. And if you're here for the first time, you haven't been to church for a while, you're saying, see, I told you God was this old man in the sky just killing everybody in the Old Testament. That's why I don't like Christians. That's why I don't like church. That's why. But just for the moment, let's just own this. Let's realize that we are not God, that we don't have all the, all the, all the answers, that we don't have all the details to what led God to make this decision. And I also want to acknowledge and, and say, please don't get stuck here, because it's very easy for the enemy to get you stuck right here in this message and not be able to move forward. God often used his people, Israel, to bring about his judgment to other nations. So I just wanna own this uncomfortable moment here, but also pay attention to the principles and the lessons for us here in 2024. This is a very strong lesson for us here. Just like the Israelites with the Amalekites, you and I struggle with sin issues that tend to gain traction in our lives. It may disappear for a while, it may not bother us for a while, but then it comes back with a vengeance. It comes back, whatever we're secretly hiding, whatever we think we've overcome for a little while, it comes back and it wreaks havoc in our families and in our marriages and in our finances and in our health and in our relationships. Because God gives us very clear instruction about how to deal with these things, and it's up to us to be intentional and to focus on eliminating what doesn't line up with Scripture, what doesn't look like Jesus, what doesn't help us live our lives to imitate Jesus and the life that he modeled for us. Now, do, will we ever get this right all the time? No. Do we do this perfectly? No. But our struggle with whatever we're dealing with in our life, whatever that sin may be in our life should never be an excuse for us avoiding dealing with it. Remember, our, our commitment at the very beginning, my goal is spiritual obedience. My goal is spiritual obedience. We read in verses four through seven that Saul started out being very obedient to God. He started strong. He started obedient. He started healthy. He was an amazing leader. He he actually gathers up a large army of 210,000 soldiers. He sets up an ambush. He attacks the enemy. In fact, when they're they're attacking him and some of them begin to run off, he chased them down over a long distance to make sure that he was carrying out God's command. And it appears as if, if you're reading the first few verses, man, Saul's doing exactly what God told him to do completely wipe out the Amalekites. He's being obedient until we get to verse 8. Then a major shift happens. Look what happens in verses 8 and 9. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs. Everything that was good is what he spared. These, they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. That's not what God said. Remember, God said destroy everything. Listen to this. Obedience is a daily decision to put into action the clear direction of God. I want to say that again. Obedience is a daily decision to put into action the clear direction of God because it's not that God was unclear. It's not that Saul was confused. It's not that Samuel was mistranslating what God, the the message that God had given him to give to Saul. Saul knew what he was supposed to do, and he refused to do it. And this is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons why there is still conflict in the nation of Israel to this day, because of Saul's partial obedience, and we're still feeling his partial obedience thousands of years later. It was in this moment that Saul decided, I know better than God does, and I'm going to do my own thing. So how does this lesson apply to us? Let me ask, what is it in your life that God has given you clarity of what to get rid of? that God has given you clarity of what to eliminate and you're still refusing to live in obedience. All of us have those areas, maybe one area or several areas in our life that God is calling us to surrender, that God's called us to live in obedience, that he's called us to humble ourselves, to seek forgiveness instead of pursuing what I want to pursue what God wants. So here's the question. What is it in my life that God has told me to do and I'm just not doing it? Let's look at verse 9 again. You can circle or underline this phrase. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. You see, some of us are living with perpetual sin issues because we're unwilling to do the hard thing and completely destroy that sin in our lives. We want our marriages to work. We really want our marriages to get to grow and to be strong and, and to, to, to develop and be nurtured and to, to have more intimacy with our spouse, but we still continue to flirt with that person at our job, or we keep up with that old boyfriend or that old girlfriend on social media. We want God to bless our dating relationships, but instead of honoring God and each other by choosing sexual purity, we decide to live it, with, to move in with each other and to live together because it's culturally accepted and it's financially feasible, We want God to bless our finances, but we continue to spend just to keep up with everybody's highlight reels on social media. We want to stop abusing drugs or alcohol, but we keep the number for our dealer, or we keep taking the route that takes us right past our favorite bar. Why? Because we're unwilling to completely destroy the sin issue in our lives and live in obedience. So I want you to write this down in your notes. This is the only fill-in for the entire message this weekend. It says, my partial obedience is disobedience. My partial obedience is disobedience. Have you ever uh, told your kids to do something and they only do it halfway? I tell my kids, hey, when I get home, that kitchen better be cleaned up. And you get home, there's dishes in the sink. and I'm like, "What? this place is a mess. What did you do? I unloaded the dishwasher. Like yeah, that's just part of what you have to unload it and then load it back up. Wipe the counters down. Make sure that all the all the uh, all the the dishes are out of the sink. Or you tell them to do laundry. Hey, why are these clothes still wet? Well, I put them in the wash. I just didn't put them in the dryer. Well, that's partial obedience. Okay, partial obedience is actually disobedience. Saul chose the path of partial obedience. Look at verse nine again. He refused to completely destroy everything, but everything that was weak or despised, he totally destroyed. That sounds just like us today, doesn't it? We are so willing to let go of the the things that are not important to us, the things that really don't matter. But if we like it, if it makes me feel good, if it makes me happy, if it's convenient, then we often hang on to it and then make an excuse why it's okay not to get rid of. Listen, you and I serve a God who offers us abundant life, who offers us abundant freedom, who offers us abundant hope. And instead we settle for a life of struggle because we're unwilling to be obedient. But here's the deal. The end result of obedience is freedom. The end result of obedience is joy. And God wants us to experience a life that's not weighed down by burden, that's not weighed down by struggle, that ongoing disobedience. It brings in our lives. None of us would ever choose to live a life full of struggle. None of us would ever choose to, uh, to live a life that's full of burden, would we? No, we want to live in freedom and joy that can only be found when we embrace the obedience to God above all else. So in the next few verses, we read this, this massive disconnect that should cause every single one of us in this room to pause and reflect. It's in verses 10 and 11 where God actually withdraws his hand of blessing from Saul's life and his role as king of Israel. And it's all because of Saul's disobedience. And then in verses 12 through 15, Saul has the audacity to build a memorial to his victory and then brags to Samuel about how good of a job he did in obeying God's commands. Listen to my heart for this church. We live in a culture that is so buried in its own deception that we convince ourselves that when we're living in obedience to God, we, we, we convince ourselves that we're living in obedience to God when we're actually living in constant disobedience. We deceive ourselves. That is why it's so important for us to spend time every day in God's word to memorize scripture and allow his words to penetrate and infiltrate our lives so deeply that when something comes up in culture, that when something comes up in our lives that doesn't match up with the life of Jesus, that we can sense it quickly, that we can see it quickly. And we're willing at that moment to do the hard work of repentance and confession because the closer I get to Jesus, the more obedient I should want to become. The closer we come to the presence of Jesus, the more obedient we should want to become. Because I learn in new ways how deeply I am loved by God. And I, I'm, so, I'm so much deeper connected to the plan that I know that he has, has for me. And it allows me to walk in the freedom that he's created for me. Obedience to God is not bondage. Obedience to God is not a prison. Obedience to God is actually freedom. Over the next 10 verses, there's three separate points in verse 15 and then verses 20 and 21, and also in verse 24. Saul pulls one of the all-time classic moves of horrible, poor leadership. He pulls the blame game. I know none of us ever do that. We never blame anyone else for anything that we do wrong. When when Samuel confronts him and says, why did you do this? Why didn't you not obey God's commands? Why did you not destroy everything? Because I gave a very clear message to you, Saul, that you were to destroy everything and you didn't. Saul first blames the people. And then he later shares how he was ultimately afraid of them. This is when the truth really came out. Samuel confronts Saul, and he's like, look, you didn't do this. What's going on? Well, this and this and this, he's giving all these excuses. And then at the end, the truth finally comes out. He's like, okay, you want to know why? You want to really know why, Samuel? Because I was afraid of the people. I wasn't afraid of God. I was afraid of the people. Let's read Saul's answer to Samuel. Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Notice he doesn't say the Lord, my God, to the Lord, our God. The men, my soldiers, were destroying everything, but they brought to me the best of the sheep and the cattle so that we could sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. And then look what he says. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king, The soldiers took sheep and cattle from their plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Then Saul said to Samuel, I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. I gave in to the people. Let's just be honest with with each other. We are really good at validating our bad behavior, aren't we? We're really good at that. Well, I did that because they did this. Or they did it first, so then I did this. Or I deserve it. I've had a horrible week. I'm going to reward myself by this, knowing that it actually goes against God. Here's the lesson I want us all to take from this. All of us, every single person in this room has influence in some arena. All of us do. Leadership is just influence. If you have any influence over anyone in your life at all, you are a leader, even if you don't see yourself as one. If you're a student in here right now, you have an opportunity to set the tone with your friends and at your school. Don't let the influences of culture win in your life. If you're a parent, God has placed us in a position of influence in our homes. Don't, let, don't, don't shift the blame, the, the influence or the responsibility to culture or technology or the teachers or, or the government. It's no one's responsibility to raise and teach our children but us. Let's set the right tone to lead ourselves and our children to obey God. At your workplaces, at your job, do it right. Do it with integrity. Live obedient and call your coworkers to do the same if you're able to. Let's not make excuses for bad behavior based on the actions of of others. Our culture is so good at blaming everyone and everything else. Nothing is anyone's fault anymore. But as followers of Jesus, Let's set a new bar. So the text closes with a final pronouncement from Samuel that gives us great insight into the root cause of Saul's disobedience. We read it just a few minutes ago. Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Then this is harsh. For rebellion is like sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So here's the truth that Samuel was pointing toward. Saul was more concerned about pleasing people than he was about pleasing God. Who was Saul afraid of? The people. When I'm more concerned about how the people around me think, when I'm more concerned about how the people around me feel than I am about living in obedience to God, I will consistently make unwise and disobedient choices. It's not until my fear of God overcomes my fear of people that I would live in obedience and freedom. Now, I'm not talking about this, you know, sitting in your corner, sucking your thumb, just afraid of God. No, I'm talking about that holy reverence. The holy authority of the creator of the universe. Until we value that more than we do fearing people, we will constantly make unwise decisions. We will constantly live in disobedience. Saul was more worried about looking good in front of the people than he was about living in obedience to God. Remember the key idea for today, my partial obedience is actually disobedience. Unlike a teacher, God doesn't give us partial credit for being somewhat obedient. And Samuel used some pretty pretty strong language when he talked to Saul, especially when he was addressing the condition of his heart. He described using words like rebellion and arrogance. Those are strong words. The rebellion of, of divination is a person that's trying to grab a hold of your life and set your own future instead of relying on the leading of the Holy Spirit. The arrogance of evil and idolatry refers to someone who actually considers themselves a a little g-god. We see that in our culture every single day. I'm going to do what I believe is right in my own eyes, right? So before we close, I want to address just another large elephant in the room because this is a heavy, heavy topic. And you're thinking, man, this is my first time here. I wanted to leave feeling encouraged and joyful and hopeful. You can. Because obedience brings about hope and joy. It's not a prison or bondage. Obedience is freedom. When we hear a message like this, it's easy to feel defeated and discouraged and think, man, I have blown it. I'll never measure up because I look back at some of the decisions I've made and I've been living in partial obedience, which is disobedience. I've been very disobedient. So there's no hope for me, I guess. No, 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 listen. That is not God's heart for you. I wanna challenge you today to pay attention to God's conviction because there's a difference in guilt and conviction. Do not let Satan make you feel hopeless. Do not allow the enemy to make you feel defeated or shameful, those feelings do not come from God. Conviction is good because conviction is an awakening that I need to leave something and draw nearer to God. It's a God thing. Conviction is actually one of those things that should re-engage us in the fight to live obedient and surrender to the will of God. Feeling discouraged and Hopeless is not a God thing. When I, when I respond to God in obedience, it actually allows me to walk out of here experiencing freedom and experiencing joy. Because when I refuse to address an issue, that's what makes me feel leaving here feeling burdened and heavy. And that's not God's will for us. God wants us to experience and live in freedom So as we close our time today, I want to give you a single question on which to focus. And it's in your note sheet this morning. Here it is. You'll see there when you open it up there on the left side, the reflection. What is one area of my life that I need to change today to be obedient to God's word? What is one area of my life that I need to change today to be obedient to God's word? We all have at least one area all of us do as your pastor i can tell you i i, I don't have all this together i haven't always been a hundred percent fully obedient to scripture and loved my wife as christ loves the church i haven't always been fully obedient to scripture and led and guided my children in the fear and admonition of the lord like i'm supposed to i haven't always been fully obedient to push selfishness and pride aside because I know what I want from my life instead of always leaning in for what God wants for my life. There's a lot of times I haven't operated in full humility. That becomes a sin issue for me. So we all have at least one or more areas. There have been several partial obedience seasons and moments in my life that I've had to quote unquote kill something that's been holding me back, that sin issue. And my guess is you have one or more in your life as well. So this is what I want to do. I'm going to go ahead and, if you have your communion elements, go ahead and take those. We do this uh, the first Sunday of every month with the wafer and the juice that symbolizes the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. I was just reading something about The communion elements this week and something that i I had read and studied but had kind of forgotten about when you know when jesus is passing around the bread and said this is a symbol of my broken body and he passes around the juice and said this is a symbol of my blood that's going to be spilled out and he's talking about how when when he would drink when he took a drink and he passed around and everybody else took a drink about what that symbolized in the, in the Jewish custom, when the, when the groom would, would ask a lady to be his bride, they would drink together. They would pour wine and they would drink together. And then they wouldn't drink again because then they would be engaged and then they would separate for a time. He would go back, he would build his house. When everything was ready, he would come back and get his bride for the ceremony and then they would drink again. And one of the things that Jesus says is, the next time we do this, The next time we drink together, we're going to be united as one. I love that. I love that we get to do this as a family, as a body of Christ. But one day, we're going to do this all together as a family in heaven. If you have your wafer, take that. We're going to thank Jesus for this. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. Lord, this wafer symbolizes the body, your body, Lord, that was broken for our sin. We thank you, Lord. For paying the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sin. Lord, as we take this, Lord, we are remembering that over 2,000 years ago, you laid your life down for us, for our sin, as a perfect atoning sacrifice for our sin. We bless you for that. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. And Jesus, we thank you for your spilled blood. We thank you that we are drinking this as a family together here but we know that we are united as one church Lord as, as, as you the groom and we are the bride and Father one day we will get to drink this together as bride and groom but for now we take this to represent represent the church here on earth represent the body of Christ here on earth and Father we we believe Lord that the, the blood that you shed on the cross, Lord, the perfect atoning, the perfect divine blood that covers our sin, past, present, and future. We bless you for this. We accept your sacrifice as our atonement. We accept it to pay the penalty that we can never pay, the price that we can never pay. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink. Here's what I want to do for the next two minutes. I want you to just reflect on that question that we ask. What's one area in my life, one area in my life that I need to completely surrender to God? One area in my life. Maybe there's more than one area. And I want you to write that down, that note-taking sheet. And then if if you want, even share that with someone. If it's something super personal and deep, keep that to yourself, but it's you know, James says that if we, you know, that confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another actually helps us heal. So maybe there's something in your life that you need to confess to someone so that you can begin that healing process. So take a couple of minutes, write that down, and then we'll come back. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us, Lord, that partial obedience is disobedience. Thank you for showing us today that area or areas of our life that we need to surrender, that we need to confess, that we need to turn over to you. Those areas in our life where we've not been the most obedient. Father, help us to grow in that area forgive us our sin. Help us to lean in on you. Help us to draw closer to you, Lord, because the closer we get to you, the more obedient we will want to become. So help our relationship be stronger today than it was yesterday, and then stronger tomorrow, and then the next day, and then next day. Father, here we are today, humbled and in your presence, Father, we just pray, God, you will just continue to mess with us, Lord. Father, when we begin to pull away from you, remind us that we are your children. and You want us to live in obedience. We love you today. We thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. For what you've done, for what you're doing, and for what you're going to do. We put our trust and our hope in you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.